Hey guys, welcome to episode 26. This is Wise Guy Talks. Today's episode is going to be called Truth, Lies, and Journalism. Come right back and we'll talk about NBC coming to town here in South Lake trying to besmirch our entire city. Hey guys, this is Wise Guy Talks coming back with episode 26, Truth, Lies, and Journalism. Today we have in our world-famous recording studio the man himself, Cato. Cato, I'm a little reluctant to ask you this, but how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm not going to mention anything All right, thank you very much. One, (laughs) I'd like to welcome you. Have you ever done a podcast before? I have not. I've listened to many, but never been on one. Really? So what's it like? It's different. It's exciting, isn't it? Well, you know, I don't like to see pictures of myself or video of myself, and I'm not so sure I like to hear my own voice. But well, no, you've <laughs> my got a... wife tells me to shut up all the time. So, <laughs> you've got a great voice, and you've got a definitely a face made for radio, just like myself. <laughs> so, anyhow, tell us a little bit about yourself. I understand that you're a dog face. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I was. Well, I was a combat engineer okay. for 28 years in the U.S. Army. Uh, rose to the rank of colonel, wow. and. Uh, just retired in May of 2020. Yeah. Uh, so right, just right after the COVID crisis slammed us all. And uh, a combat engineer, for those that don't know, you know, it's it's engineering, but it's engineering of like uh, you know, dig tank ditches and obstacles, and you're basically an infantryman with a shovel. Oh gosh. So, <laughs> did you enjoy it? I, you know, I did, and I really miss it. Uh, but you know, it's one of those things where it's a young man's game. Yeah. Did you have any kinetic engagements? Uh, I personally did not ever fire my weapon in anger, but I have been in vehicles that were fired upon. What's that like? What's that like? Uh, Small rounds or uh, IEDs? uh, Small rounds. There was a couple of situations where we were getting mortared. Uh, There was one time in Basra. I was in a tent with a bunch of British Air Force guys. And uh, we heard rockets uh, fly right over the tent in the middle mm. of the night and splash on the other side. It'll put the fear of God into you. You, you think you're you think you're a stud. You think you're ready for it. No. And you know it's it's that old saying, right? Hours and hours, days and days of sheer boredom interrupted by moments of sheer terror. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's that realization that oh my gosh, this is real. So you grew up uh, Mexican American, first generation, second generation. Uh, actually, third generation. Third generation. Yeah. So my my great grandfather on my dad's side was a, an officer in the Mexican cavalry in the early 1900s. Pancho uh, Villa. It was around that time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he came across. I want to say it was uh, 1910 or so. Yeah. And uh, raised his family on the King Ranch. My my grandfather and my dad were born there, and he was part of the team that bred the Santa Gertrudis cattle. That's right. With uh. A uh, man named Cavazos, whose son ended up being a four-star general in the army. I want to do a, a podcast just on that. I find that really uh, fascinating because I went to school with the uh, the boy that grew up on the the King Ranch of the oh, yeah? back okay. in the eighties. Yeah. yeah, really interesting. It's a big thing. deal. So look, um, we had we had some craziness that started in and around twenty eighteen. Basically, uh, um, there was a. There was a racist video. It's called a racist video. What it is, is it's white teenage children that appeared to me to be kind of drunk up. That's that's the impression that I got. And they were, you know, they were doing this uh, chant. I don't know the background behind it. I understood that they were at a party at school where the DJ was actually going, you say in, I say, you know, where that's going. Wait, was it at school or? I don't even know where it happened. I don't think it was at school. 
it, they never even said, and it didn't happen on school properties at a private house, but as things go in this new age, uh, new age of viral information, it went viral and it went around the world 10 times uh, within you know, a month. I mean, it just blew up. And so I think the narrative became based on this video that somehow or another that painted our entire community. So in comes our man, Mr. Lester Holt, uh, dragging in Antonia Hilton. And uh, they they had this ser a series called State of the uh, Struggle. And they came into town on t uh, February the 24th and recorded this. You got sucked into this one. Uh, you were actually interviewed in the process. During that interview, uh, how long was the total uncut version of the interview? Uh, I think I had somebody recorded on my phone and I posted it. It was about t between 12 and 15 minutes. And uh, at the end of that, was there a discussion? There was. It, was, it, was, it wasn't the end of my interview. Later on, uh, you know, our man Cato gave an interview. And then after his interview, which was about the same length, we had a discussion, a separate discussion about journalistic integrity and why no one wanted to talk to Antonia Hilton. Why do you think it is that no one, and first, everybody that doesn't know Cato, he's our, uh, he's first gen Vietnamese that came over here in 1978. And uh, you can go back and, and find my discussion with uh, Cato when he came over here. It's fascinating off the chart, the sacrifices that he and his family made to, to breathe the freedom of America. But we can, we can come back and talk about that later. So I'm really interested in the portion uh, where there was an engagement talking about journalistic integrity. Kind of give us, uh, how did that go? So uh, Cato finished his interview, and after that, we were wrapping things up, and she asked both of us why we were the only two that were willing to talk to her. And we told her, I know I told her specifically, because people don't want you to call them a racist. They want their, uh, their story to be told honestly. And so the discussion revolved around whether she would or would not tell the, tell the story honestly and uh, the ethics of journalists and how she has integrity and this story would be told, you know, both sides would be represented honestly. And I said, okay, I'm going to hold you to that. Do you think that she did do that? No. In what way did she uh, fail in her duties as a unbiased uh, reporter? Of well, a story. Yeah. So, so first of all, she failed to explain the basis of the opposition to the CCAP from our side. Okay. CCAP. People may not know what that is. Uh, just briefly, give me the 40,000 foot view of what CCAP is. So in the aftermath of this video, my understanding is the, the district put together this cultural competence action plan, CCAP. It's a 34 page document, uh, that was designed to be, uh, a way to rectify racism in our school district and in our wider society here in South Lake. And it's full of critical race theory, uh, cultural competence, pedagogy, critical race pedagogy. Do, do you see uh, CCAP as an adjunct to CRT? I, absol I absolutely do. Uh, there's no getting around it, especially when you start looking at terms like equity, which is a very flexible term. And I think it's meant to be that way on purpose. And the use of the term microaggressions complete with the definition of what a microaggression is. So, so the presumption and assumption is that this, it starts with the narrative that this is a racist community. 
and and they make that determination by a single event that was very specific to uh, some young kids. And then the assumption is that they were racist in their hearts because they're singing words to a very contemporaneous style of music that we hear now, which degrades women horrifically and uses the N-word constantly. They're never held to task for that. You have some white kids that that use the exact same words that these guys are using in their, right, um, in their rap songs, and now they use that as a narrative to make the determination that our entire community is racist. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to think about the genesis of critical race theory. Um, people don't know, you know, they might be tempted to ask, well, what's wrong with that? Well, critical race theory comes from critical theory. And these ideas aren't new. These ideas go back centuries. Um, you could take it back to uh, the ancient Greeks when they talked about the, the sophists who stood against uh, Socrates and said, you know, man is the end of all things. And, you know, whatever the good is, is what's in man's self-interest. So fast forward and you have this, uh, this historicism, right, that Marx picked up on for his, uh, he called it the, the materialistic dialectic, which basically was the whole business that you learned in school about communism. It's the proletariat, the downtrodden, oppressed masses versus the owners of the means of production. We all, we all know that story. Critical theory comes from the Frankfurt School, and it's all Marxism. It's all about seeing every possible relationship in the human existence through a lens of power. Who has power and who's oppressed? Critical race theory merely takes the next step and says, well, all those relationships and that power can be defined through the lens of race. So if you are part of a protected, oppressed class, you must be oppressed. It doesn't matter about your individual circumstances. And if you are not, if you are, in this case, if you are white or any of the blends of white, then you are an oppressor. It doesn't matter if your family had anything to do with the historic ills of our country, where they came from, when they got here, why they came, none of that matters. And so this is all about will to power. So the idea that you start with the idea that uh, society is racist, you think about it. They're not interested in adjudicating, investigating and adjudicating the incident. They don't want to know, why did this happen? We still don't know the details on where this came from. The story about the DJ, the homecoming dance, the after party. We don't know. Why is that? Because they're not interested. It doesn't, it doesn't advance their narrative. Right. Right. What we what we've the determination that we've come to is false narrative equals false conclusion. And it's a similar dynamic. Uh, and, and let me just kind of back up and kind of pull a George Bush here and step on myself. What people ask me, well, why are you doing this podcast? I was with a group of wealthy developers last night. And they go, why are you even messing with that? And I said, I want to set a line in the sand. I want people in other communities to know that they do not, that they can resist this, this Marxism that's trying to come into the, their community. And they're not going to call it Marxism because they're too smart for that, but they will call it cultural competency. They'll call it diversity training. They'll call it equity inclusion. They have all these beautiful little Orwellian names that they love to give to it. Like I, I like to say, you know, they call it the uh, ministry of love yep. and that's where they had room 101 where they brought, right. a, I think his name was O'Brien in there and they, when, 
uh, Winston. Winston O'Brien yeah. was the one that was interrogating was the, him. Right, correct. He was the one with the power. That's one. Right. And and so at the end of it, when he walked out, he goes, "Is two plus two five? And he goes, "Yes, two plus two. So it's not only they got they go beyond controlling what you speak, but the next step was even more uh, insidious is what you think. So uh, so I want to pick up on that because it's 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 more insidious and deeper than just compelling speech. So to go back to the novel 1984, O'Brien's got Winston in the torture chamber and he's trying to get him to admit that two plus two is not four, that two plus two is five. And under torture, O'Brien, uh, Winston does admit it and O'Brien says, that's not good enough. It's not enough for you to say it. You must believe it. So this is, this is all about uh, controlling the present by controlling the past. The past is whatever I say it is. There is no objective truth. It's in that case of 1984, it's whatever the party says. And if you control the past, then you control the future. It's all about control. Think about, uh, think about it. Critical race theory does not, it doesn't start, and if this is in the CCAP, it doesn't start with, let's investigate and find out whether racism happened. Let's just say you wanted to focus down on only on racism, which I think is probably a bad start. But okay, for the sake of argument, we're going to think about just racism. We're going to investigate the incident. They never ask the question, did racism happen? They start with the presumption that it did happen, and they say, where and when did it happen? Because somebody must be guilty. Somebody must be forced to atone. Someone must bend the knee to the progressive cause. Right. And you see this, you're seeing this more and more with this cancel culture, we have this, uh, I think it's Emily Drashinsky, who does the, the Federalist Radio Hour. She's a journalist for the Federalist. Great publication, by the way. She terms it the binary progressive or bigot. And she's absolutely right. You know, in their minds, you're either progressive and you accept that whole progressive ideology or you're a bigot. And it's funny how uh, they're okay with being binary in that sense. But when it comes to actual science... right. You know, they reject that. The party of science, they may call themselves the party of science. Well, we're the party of actual science. I'll leave it there. Yeah. Well, one, well, let's go back. Remember, what's her name? Antonio uh, Hilton. Antonia Hilton, yes. Yeah, remember after I got out of the school board, she approached me asking me whether I wanted to be interviewed, right? Correct. What did I say? I actually say there's, there's other people that you can interview, and they're mostly white. Right. And... They she refused. said they don't want to talk to me. Yeah, and I think you came up and you told her the reason they don't want to talk to you because you're gonna, you're gonna take their words and what and you're gonna, it. Yeah, I said you're gonna take their words, you're gonna twist their words, and you're gonna basically call them racist, whether you do it overtly or implicitly. And people don't want to be branded racist. That, that's the that's the cardinal sin in today's society to be branded racist, and it's being used as a cudgel to stomp out any kind of non-conforming ideas. Well, let's let's take a look at the interview. So so back to the interview. Some of the things, the highlights that were in the interview, and I was kind of broad stroke it. Um, Antonia Hilton is, I think it's somebody, she's trying to make a name for herself, and she really doesn't really care too much about journalistic integrity. That's just my own opinion. She starts out in the piece by saying, I'll, I'll put a link on here. 
uh, to the actual interview. Beneath the surface of uh, idyllic South Lake, Texas, is what Robin Cornish says is a troubling reality. Now, tell me, what if you knew nothing about South Lake and you heard NBC News nationally broadcast make that statement right there, what would you think about South Lake? Oh, well, I, obviously, if I knew nothing, I wouldn't have a very good opinion of it. So you would think that maybe there's there, there's something... Um, Bessel Whorehouse in Texas had to go, Texas has Whorehouse in it. Lord have mercy on yourself. Yeah, you're dating yourself. That's a pretty old movie. <laughs> Thank you. All these, see, that's ageism right there. Yeah, and well, I'm triggered by that. And I'm and, guilty. Uh, you're old. <laughs> old is a relative term. So. It sure is. And then uh, Robin, she comes back, she goes, it looks real, it looks real pretty aesthetically. But there's something about this town that's real, real ugly. Beneath the surface of idyllic South Lake, Texas, is what Robin Cornish says is a troubling reality. It looks real, real, real pretty, aesthetically. But there's some things about this time, town that are real, real ugly. Um, I'm going to do a piece on Miss Cornish at some point. I've reached out to her, and she gave me, she accidentally... <laughs> hit a reply all and left kind of a catty response that I don't think she intended me to see, but I've invited her to come on the show and explain her provenance within the city, which I think people will find very interesting because she somewhat becomes the star of this interview and has become the mouthpiece for the crowd that believes in systemic racism in Southlake. Antonia goes on to say Southlake, which just has 2% black um, in the population, and then there's a big Chiron. It's up on the Chiron, 2% black. South Lake, which is just 2% black. Well, in my mind, and you can help me out on this, but I see this as a total non sequitur. How does that have anything to do with what's going on in, in the community? Matter of fact, I would say that it kind of feeds into the narrative of, uh, well, that was well, supposed to feed into the narrative of systemic racism. And it, but it presupposes that we somehow or another have Praetorian guards standing at the front gate doing a pigment check for admittance into the community. Yes, we do. Because when I bought the house, they asked whether, you know. <laughs> They're called loan officers. Yeah. Oh, so I'm like, I'm Asian. They're like, hey, there's, there's 30% Asians already. So uh, let me look at your income and this and that. And I, I finally got through because I had to pay them. Yeah. Well, so anyhow, you, you know, she continually uses these things that really have nothing to do. The fact that the blend of our community, uh, I mean, if you look at the Asians, she didn't bring that up, but the Asians have exploded. They're almost 30 percent of South Lake population. They've gone from zero to 100 miles an hour in a decade. Right. I mean, they've got some of the most prestigious jobs uh, nationally. We already know that the top of the economic income scale by far is the Asian community. No other race even comes close, but she didn't want to talk about that. She wants to paint this narrative that we only have 2% black in our community. Well, you know, you know, the 2% black figure, this, this idea that uh, a certain demographic is underrepresented in terms of overall population, a logical thinker would say, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? What's that got to do with the claims being made? It has absolutely nothing to do with it, but here's what it does have to do with. The 2% demographic has absolutely nothing to do with the claims that are being made against Southlake. 
unless you're looking at it specifically through a lens of disparate impact. And you're saying, well, by, by God, if if African-Americans are 13 percent of the population or whatever it is, 12, 13, I don't know, then it ought to be the same in South Lake. 13. OK, but what what does that got to do with systems in South Lake and more specifically South Lake schools? If there's any kind of guilt for the lack of uh, representation demographically among any portion of the population, that can be laid clearly at the feet of democratic socialist policies nationwide and since but she doesn't want the to great talk society. About of course not. Of course not. She doesn't want to talk about the true systemic problem. And that's why, why are blacks at the bottom of all a- a- average income scales uh, literally across the board? They're flat at the bottom. And whose fault is that? It's the cycle of dependency that's been created by government intervention that it's all about a false notion of humanitarianism. You know, if, as long as I'm acting humanitarian, it's a, it's sophistry. It is right. It's specious arguments. So the whole idea, it sounds great on paper. People are going to love me because like Bill Clinton, I feel your pain. Right. right. But the truth is that when we look at the results, they don't pan out, but you don't see anyone making adjustments to the system to fix it. Right. And, and you don't take my word for it. Go look at the demo. Go look at the data. Go look yeah. at the data. I mean, and you've got people like Thomas Sowell, who is a, a hero to me, who says this exact stuff. He talks about fatherlessness being the major crisis among uh, black society. And that really started in the 60s. And we're seeing it also in white America. Right. Yeah. The, the idea of sophistry, I, I find intriguing. It's a Hellenistic idea that came from, you know, Greco, mostly Greco Roman period. And it was people that are. I, when I think of a sophist, I think of Cuomo and Gavin Newsom. They're attractive people, particularly Gavin Newsom. And it's almost as if people are not hearing the words that they're saying, the meaning, the true value of their meaning. And they're, they're kind of seeing in him what they want him to see. So, yeah. And what they do is they take a false idea and they spin it and they make it attractive. Right. So think about it. Think about the slogan. Look at BLM. It's right. a perfect Black, example. That's exactly what I was going to say. Black Lives Matter. Well, of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. Who would be against such a thing? And then you dig into the organization and you find out that they're all about dismantling the patriarchal society and deconstructing the nuclear family. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And nobody's asking the question. Isn't that how we got into this business in the first place? Right. I think one of the heads, I think her name was Cullen. Starts with Patrice Colors. Yeah, Patrice, Patrice. She's straight up Marxist. She even brags about oh, yeah, being trained in Marxist doxology. These people tell you exactly what they think and what they want to do. We just don't hear it. Nobody's listening. Nobody's listening to it. And then you look at all the the millions of dollars these freaking corporations have thrown at BLM. I mean, I'm embarrassed. To, I'm not going to say that. I don't want to get in trouble. But there's a lot of corporations that I'm uh, intimately familiar with that's thrown money at these corporations. And how much of that's trickling down to the man on the street to really meet? Oh, al- almost none of it. I hear it's like 1.5%. Some I mean, of the figures I've seen is around 1.5%. The money that is donated to these causes is often almost always taken up by the people who don't need it. 
Wow. So I think we could go down this road for a long time. We could. We could, and including you know, the reasons behind yeah. you know, these corporate donations to these progressive causes. Yeah. So Ms. Hilton makes the comment that uh, South Lake is at a crossroads. Black families worry the window to make this right is closing. South Lake is at a crossroads. A judge has issued a restraining order halting work on the diversity plan, and school board elections are coming in the spring. Black families worry the window to make this right is closing. Cato, take a shot. Well, see, interview me, and I offer to fight racism, and I told her, of course there's racism here. And we, we like to find out where it's coming from so we can fight it. But my interview didn't, didn't make a cut. Yeah, it may have been your accent, I'm just saying. It could be, it could be. But she probably find me too attractive to be. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think, maybe we should take a vote on that. The eyes have it, the motion's passed, you're not pretty. <laughs> um, well, so, he, didn't, he didn't fit the narrative. Well, speaking of narrative, they got, they lost their accreditation last month in Washington State, so they are no longer a minority. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, East, take a East shot at that. Asian are considered not, minorities anymore yeah. in well, some district in uh, Washington State. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting point here, and that is, you know, when Cato stood up and said, show me the racism, I'll help you fight it. Right. You know, she was kind of taken aback. She didn't really have a, a good response to that. But there's two reasons that they'll never take him up on that offer. And the first one is they're not interested in identifying specific incidents of racism and rooting out the bad ideas. And the second and more more problematic reason they don't is because the way that we would want to combat bad ideas is with good ideas. That's not what they want to do. They prefer force. Yeah. Yeah, one, but you know what? I told her that CCAP will not solve racism. And I think she, she was bothered by that. She was. I'm not sure if she's ever actually read it, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt and say she hasn't. You're better than me. But, uh, you know, the CCAP would exacerbate issues of racism because it exacerbates division. So towards the end of the interview, uh, Antonia Hilton, uh, she misspelled her last name, by the way. And Antonia Hilton uh, is referring to Miss Cornish, and she says, Cornish, who has five children, decided not to wait. After nearly three decades, she left Southlake. We're going to have a lot to say about this in uh, upcoming episodes. Uh, I'm going to shine a little bit of light on this whole idea of raising five children, grades 1 through 12, and how they had to struggle through the cesspool and quagmire of racism. Uh, I'm going to have a lot to say about that. And then well, she finishes up by saying, just let me, I just really want them to think about, think about it. Is this the tradi tradition you really want to protect? Is this the story you want to tell? Cornish, who has five children, decided not to wait. So after nearly three decades, she left Southlake. I just really want them to really think about, is this the tradition that you really want to protect? Is this the story that you really want this town to tell? A decision she says she made to protect her own family. Antonia Hilton, NBC News, Southlake, Texas. Well, I'm 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 not very happy because to paint the whole town as racist from that comment makes it makes me sick because I I have never run into a racist person here in South Lake. My kids have never had any issue with racism. 
And we, we want to make it better. I mean, if there's racism, point it out. I want to help and fight. Remember in, in the interview, I told uh, Ms. Hilton that I want to work with them. I want to work with people that face racism. And please do not leave South Lake. Stay. Talk to us. We want to fight. But people that call you a white supremacist, like you told her, are not interested in fighting racism. No, not in the least. It, it makes no sense. Right. Well, to me, those are cowards. You they, gotta they stay and hold your ground. If there's racism, fight. Well, that's one of the overarching points that that I want to make to the listener is communities quit have to quit bowing down to these guys, and they have to act. Quit acting like it's Krypton to Superman when somebody charges him with racism. I'm going to be charged as being a racist for doing this podcast. I guarantee you. Um, it's just inevitable. It'll probably happen within minutes of me going live with it. But that's, that is the arrow in their quiver. The singular arrow in their quiver is the racist arrow because they can't beat me in the school of uh, logical thought and explanation. They can't do that and they refuse to do it. They're just going to try to color you. She finishes up Antonio by saying that was a decision she uh, she says she made to protect her family. Think about that. Grades 1 through 12. Uh, she doesn't physically live in the school district. And uh, Well, I'm going to I'm going to do what they don't do and try to use some logic and ask the question if all of her children graduated from Carol ISD. What does that make her? Does that who was she trying to protect and win? Yeah, I, I don't know. How I'm, bad I, was it if she made look, a decision? One, I have deliberately. reached. I have reached out to her to square that and uh, to connect the dots for me, and she won't respond to me. But she's welcome to come on here. I'll do a Zoom with her. She can have a written response. She can have, but I have all the legal pleadings from her uh, bankruptcy, and it's not pretty. And uh, it's going to go live here sooner than later. So well, you know, I don't know, I don't know really anything about her. But if she uh, kept her kids the world in the school system, that that kind of answers the question right there. But Antonia Hilton was right about one thing when she said we're at a crossroads. But she's wrong about what that crossroads is. That crossroads, in actuality, is: Are we going to accept progressive bigotry in our schools that says that? One child is an oppressor and another is an oppressed based, based on, on their immutable care. physical characteristics. Exactly. Or are we going to go down the road and say, you know what? We need to ensure that we are pursuing policies that foster education. Education, the ability to reason with logic, to think clearly and critically. And I don't see that happening. So when do you think NBC referred to CCAP as diversity training? Uh, when training is only a small part of the plan? Well, I, I think because if you read the CCAP, you start to see that there is some imposition. They're talking about recommendations for changing the curriculum. So I've made this point before, and I think it's important. And that has to do with the concept of authority. So, you know, our society is, is unique in history uh, because we decided that authority we didn't reject the idea that authority comes from God. It comes from the Creator. This is in our founding documents. So even if you don't believe, you can still rest on that assumption. And it flows not through a king or some concept of nobility, but through the people. So authority is limited to the scope of what you're trying to do in space and time. So I like to say the authority that the school has over my child, A, is delegated to them by me not the other way around, and B, is limited in scope and time and place to the curriculum 
to the grounds of the school or any school-sponsored events that I allow her to participate in. And so when they talk about changing the curriculum without any real input from parents, and the board is just ridiculous in how they rubber stamp whatever the administration says, what they're really doing is usurping parental authority. And that can't, we can't let that stand. That's, that's got to be stopped. It's almost like our, our form of government, uh, the powers are granted to them. We bequeath them the power to govern us. That, that power originally comes from the people. And it doesn't come from them. It doesn't originate with them. We're the ones that temporarily give them the power. And, and I get the impression, particularly at our school, and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing this happen replicate itself throughout the country. Well, you're you're a former military guy. Marine, We've been on sir. deployments, right? Yes. We've been on deployments, and you know that one of the things you do when you go on deployment is you do a power of attorney, right? So when you vote for a candidate for a specific office, in essence, that is what you're doing. You're giving that person power of attorney to act on your behalf, but that power is limited to certain specific items, right? If I leave somebody a general power of attorney to sell my car... They don't have any authority to sell my house while I'm gone. It's kind of the same thing. Well, here's my point. The, the claim is racism, right? I mean, the interview, I mean, going back to the, the NBC interview, the claim is racism. And re remember, I, during the interview, I told her that CCAP is not going to solve racism. And no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so if CCAP is going to change, solve racism, I will support it. But it's not. Yeah. Well, well there's a theory of philosophy, or not, it's a psychological theory called CAT, C-A-T. It stands for Communication Accommodation Theory. And under Communication Accommodation Theory, the person that's seen as the alpha persons, let me use the right pronoun, um, the alpha person within the group, they will uh, accommodate their communication in order to get out of a situation that they don't want to be in, i.e. diversity training. I love all these corporate, we had a corporate guy go before the school board and brag about a certain company, uh, about how good the diversity training program is. Well, guess what? I actually work for that company. And no, we don't think it's such a good idea and we don't like it and we're forced to be in there. It's almost like we think of it as re-education camp. Yeah, the, aside from legal ramifications, the corporations, they do these diversity trainings for the same reason that they give all this money to causes like BLM. It's for a couple of reasons. Number one, they seem to be fooled into thinking that the raging Twitter mob from the left is bigger <laughs> than it actually is. They're not the majority. They just, they're just loud. Right. So that's the first thing. Cackling yentas. Right. So they're scared of the impact on their bottom line. And I think it's a, 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 false, uh, a false assumption. But the second uh, more powerful reason that they do it is because they're trying to exempt themselves from any guilt, right? So who's at the top of the, who's it? Think about it. Who's at the top of the school board? You know, it's it's largely, you know, white men. So are they all going to step down? No, but well, see, they see a all way. White. Well, <laughs> Every well they, one of them are white. Right. But they see a way to say, well, if I approve this plan that kowtows to progressive ideology, then even though I'm somehow undeserving. I'm I can point stay to this and I can say, look how, look how great a job I did for you exactly. people. And there's no reason for me to leave. I, I need to be able to keep my own power. But that's let's take it to, the, really to their house. About, let's right? take it to well, their house. Why don't they give up their house to well, somebody that's undeserving? And it's no different in the corporations. Job? It's no different. Exactly. Well, more than that, I have a problem is these white liberals that decide that they are superior in terms of morality. 
they're going to tell me that I'm oppressed, I'm the victim, and they get to decide my kid's going to follow a certain rule, certain, you know, uh, CCAP uh, agenda. I, I right. am uh, not subject you're, to that. You're a race trader, Cato. Well, you're I a race trader. Yeah, because uh, because you want to you know you want to work hard and you want to get ahead and you want your kids to have better oh, than you. No. Oh 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 no! Those are those are those are white characteristics. Yeah. they're not human characteristics. They're, oh wait a minute! But who it will, doesn't apply to Asians because Asians have a history of doing exactly that, working hard and getting ahead. Yeah, but look, who are you as a white person to decide that I am the victim and that I need help? No, absolutely, they they have no standing. They say they they would do better to just shut up and listen for a while. So leave me alone. Well, you know, I I I definitely respect your uh, understanding of history. You're in a good crowd here. Uh, Cato has a master's in world history, and and um, I'm just a, a guy that's really interested in it. So I do a lot of reading. <laughs> do a lot of reading on it. What do you? What else do you do sometimes when you're at work? But. Uh, you know, I, I love your reference. We always go back to the French Revolution, 1789, uh, Maximilien Robespierre. It was, it was actually a critical turn in history where all of a sudden schools would educate children. History would be washed. Uh, religion would be washed. Uh, tabula rasa, clean mm-hmm. slate, start right. from the beginning. And that's the theory. And yet we see this trying to replicate itself. Mar- Karl Marx looked at this and he goes, well... Um, I actually like the idea of uh, what they call the sans culottes, the people that uh, wore long pants, um, which was a euphemism for what Karl Marx recognized and correctly called them the useful idiots. And so the useful idiots are the people that are the grist for the mill. They're the ones that are the grease that allows these elitists, mostly white people, that sit up and dictate to these people and send these knuckleheads off to war. Uh, when I say war, you know, I mean burning down cities, uh, going before school boards and making just complete damn fools of themselves. And and so anyhow, that's I, I thought that was an interesting adjunct to what you were saying about sophistry is to bring in the fact that the the the, the German school in uh, Austria, no, the Frankfurt, Frankfurt school. Frankfurt, yeah. um, that's where a lot of these ideas keep getting repackaged uh, over and over again, you know. And then Antonio Gramisi, the Italian guy, tries it with uh, in in Italy. It's it's a failure. Then he decides to call it the Long March because he realizes that this stuff isn't going to happen overnight. It's going to happen over an expansive period of time, you know. And then and then we have some of our geniuses that come come into our community, uh, Herbert Macuza, who was a German, and he was trained in the Frankfurt School. And so wh- who, who does he inspire? Some of the so, social wonders like Angela Davis, and it just explodes It's interesting that you bring up Marcuse and, and his ilk because, you know, those guys really married up, in my opinion, they really married up the, the ideology of Marx with Nietzsche. And Absolutely. Nietzsche was all about, you know... Death what, of what, God. The, well, God is dead. He died of pity. Right. Right. But 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 moreover, it's all about the will to power. Right. Right. Somebody must be oppressing you. Right. Whatever religion, it's all about keeping you down. Right. Well, that's where that's where they with Marcuse, they began to break the code with Angela Davis and Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw. What they figured out was it's it's not really cost effective to simply demonstrate and bring out 10,000 people and demonstrate. You have to impregnate yourself into the higher um, echelons of education, you know, Harvard, 
You know, a lot of these guys were tenured professors right. at Harvard, and they never had original thought in their mind, their life, other than coming up with these very Orwellian ideas of their version of reality. Yeah, going back to the Frankfurt School, I think it was brilliant for them to move from critical theory to America where there's a race issue, where you can add race into it, and then it becomes critical race theory. I think to them, that's to me, it's evil. But don't you think that it was brilliant for them to come up with a critical and then add race into it? Well, not only is it brilliant, it's strategic. They look and they see our history. They know that there is a sense of shame in American history over the cause of slavery. We can come back to that point later. Uh, but you know what? Even our international enemies are using this. Uh, I'm, I'm reading things that uh, seem to indicate that China is putting money behind these efforts. Oh, for sure. Because they know it destabilizes our society and makes right. us weaker. Right. So, you know, we're at war with China right now. We just we don't, just know, don't it. know it. We just don't we know. We just don't know it. So, and they tell, and again, like I said before, these people tell you what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, read Unrestricted Warfare that was written in the mid-90s by some Chinese PLA lieutenant colonel. He talks about this. Sung Tzu. <laughs> well, not Sung Tzu. But I, no, I'm yeah. saying these guys have had some pretty critical thinkers sure. about yeah. warfare over the years. But I, you know, I, I'm when I think about this assault that's happened to the good name and credit of South Lake, Texas, I'm reminded of 1987 Raymond Donovan, who was a former Secretary of Labor, that was indicted for corruption uh, charges dealing with some construction and mob activities. He makes the famous comment after they find out that the charges are completely bogus, quote, which office do I go to to get my reputation back? And I think that is kind of sets over the top of this entire conversation. So where does Southlake go now that that uh, that Mr. Holt has put out uh, this narrative that our community, he's tarnished our community. So where do we go to get our reputation back? And that's what I'm hopefully. So let me let me let me let me chime in, because I, I want to get back to this point about the original sin of America and the shame of our history, because this relates directly to what you're talking about and the crossroads uh, quote that Antonia Hilton wrote in her piece. Okay. So the idea is that if you think about it, our society, our, our country was founded on an ideal that all men are created equal and say what you will about historical, you know, facts on the ground. Every one of the founders to a man was against the idea of slavery, even yeah. though they owned slaves and they ended up, many of them ended up freeing their slaves, but they were against the idea of slavery and they wanted to keep it from expanding. Yeah. And they wrote that into the Northwest Ordinance and they did not use the term slavery in the Constitution for a reason, even, but even though they had to deal with it in order to have a country because there were some states that would not go along otherwise. Right. But the point I'm making is that in the broader history of our country, we have failed to live up to that ideal. And the question is why? Well, because it's much easier to go along to get along. It's hard to strive for the ideal. There's a couple of times when we did strive for the ideal. The, the, the American Revolution, the Civil War, 600,000 men died, right? Uh, in order to not just free the slaves, but ensure that they stayed free. And, and But the majority of our history has been a failure to live up to these ideals. So the question now is, are we going to do the hard things? Are we going to teach our kids that they have to stand up and be counted and resist this uh, progressive bigotry and 
treat people as individuals with, with equal dignity before the law and under God? Or are we going to do the easy thing and just adopt CCAP and say, okay, we're done? That's the question. That's the crossroads. I, I, do you have a concluding statement? We're going to wrap this up because we yes, want to get I, to the I mean, I, I love to have Juan back. I mean, he's great with yeah. uh, with a lot of things. But anyway, the conclusion is this. Southlake will not bow down to CCAP. I think the, the parents here are waking up. We're fighting this. We're going to make sure that CCAP is going to be not going to be passed. Right. I, I think that uh, I don't think I know that we're about to have the most apocryphal, impactful election this community has ever seen, city council and school board. It is the most important election that I've seen since I've been here, probably since I've been involved with local elections. I used to be a city councilman in another city, different story, different time. But I will tell you that, folks, if you're listening to this, you better get your butts out and go vote at this school board meeting. Because if you don't, South Lake is just going to become like every other city out there. And that's actually what a lot of these folks wanted to happen. They wanted to see, they want to see uh, South Lake taken down a couple of notches. I don't know if that's through envy, jealousy, whatever it is, but you need to get out. You need to protect your community. You need to find out. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, uh, but you need to start asking some serious questions. And if you think you support even a portion of CCAP, all right, even a portion of dealing with the devil you lose. And that's exactly what this is. I'll finish up by a, a famous quote from Hamlet and Shakespeare. The, the lady doth protest too much, me thinks. With that, I'm going to conclude episode 26, Truth, Lies, and Journalism. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend. Come again. Take care, guys.